I was actually having trouble like putting the volume down right here. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? Welcome to the Legit Cool Podcast. My name is River, and I'm back with Nathan Sammy. What's up, River? What's up, everyone? How are you guys doing today? How are you today, bro? We are back on familiar ground with the Nolan series. Um, about Nolan, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been so long. <laughs> it's been a little while. But you know what? Like, I think Nolan would appreciate how uh, how we take time to ruminate between his... Uh, I see what you've done there. Yeah, I between his, uh, his offerings uh, to the cinematic landscape. Uh, we too take time <laughs> to uh, reflect and... Uh, review uh what what he's been doing so yeah yeah mm. <laughs> i've actually i'm i'm looking at my glasses right now and i'm noticing that it's probably a little annoying with the reflections right Ooh. now but that's all right, <laughs> that's all right. Ooh, um <laughs> yeah i mean like i was telling you before thinking about dunkirk today um <laughs> it's a I, I find this movie a little confusing Probably not in the same. Yeah, I mean, not in the same level as most of his his movies. Mm. But I, I do find it a little bit weird and confusing, and I think it's because of the timeline jumps. Yeah. Um, that I find it a little bit weird and confusing. I don't I don't know what it is. Like, do you find? I think. Do you find the same? I think. I think the funny thing is here, unlike in other um, other of his films where he uses time skips, this movie's mm. trying to develop a cathartic release at the end by intertwining mm. three stories so it's about like this gradual build of tension that's what i that's what i think yeah. like helps make sense of it because it is very um discombobulating <laughs> discombobulating to, to um to follow and especially initially because you you um you lose track of where they are at different times and also the essence of of tension can disappear because you suddenly yep. skip to a daytime scene and you're like wait where are we what's going mm. on who's here what are the stakes um mm. yeah, yeah yeah but um i think that's what's unique about the time skips in this they're not they're not serving the same purposes they do in the prestige for instance or mm-hmm. even mm. in like batman begins where it's telling an origin story and telling a story in the present so yeah Mm. Nolan just always wants to do something with time. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, telling the story like this isn't really a Nolan choice, or typically a Nolan choice. Yeah. Because it's got nothing really to do with um, how you would time jump, how you manipulate time. Mm. Because this is a real life event. Mm. Um, it's a very tragic event that happened in World War II. Mm. So Nolan had to find a way to make it a bit more Nolan esque. Um, but, you know, as we dive into the details, we'll figure out maybe what Nolan was trying to do here, mm. what his whole intention behind like the time jumps is really. Um, if it's just a typical Nolan thing that we don't really have an explanation for, then so be it. But um, maybe we might know as we go into the details. So Legacy Series, this is the ninth out of the 10 Nolan films that we're doing. So mm. we're finally getting to the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, it's been a long journey, uh, literally a long, dragged-out journey. <laughs> um, and if you haven't actually, <laughs> and for the listeners, if you haven't um, checked out the previous uh, Nolan films that we've reviewed and recapped, um, going all the way back to episode 19 with Memento, um, and then 
we have episode 20, Insomnia, episode 21, Batman Begins, episode 22, The Prestige, episode 23, The Dark Knight, episode 26, Inception, episode 27, The Dark Knight Returns, and then finally, episode 29, Interstellar, and now we're at episode 32 with Dunkirk. And, uh, um, and with that... You guys could do mm. a Christopher Nolan, and especially if you haven't listened to these, you could you can time skip all you want. You could go and listen to any of these at any time in any order, and in we any would order. we would appreciate that. <laughs> we would appreciate the likes. It helps the algorithm yeah. so that we can get more people liking and listening to a show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, let's get into. A review and recap for Dunkirk. So Dunkirk was actually released in 2017 on July. Um, it had a film budget of 100, and, 100 to 150 million. Um, it served pretty well in the box office, 527 million, which is shy of what Norm, <laughs> Nolan Norm normally does, gets yeah. with most of his films. Um, but I, I think Nolan's only really had one 1 billion film. Which is we should know um, this after. Dark Knight. The Dark Knight, yeah. yeah. I did. I think. Did he do it? Um, yeah, but Tenet. No, no, Tenet didn't uh, make one billion. I, th- I think um, all of this stems from Inception as well. Because um, yeah. we, we, sort we of the momentum in order? from yeah. Inception. Yeah. Do we do that mm. out of order? Yeah, we did it in order. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We did them in order, and yeah, you're right. There was a there was quite a bit of momentum after. Well, let's say the Dark Knight and Inception. You know, he was building up a lot of cred. Yep. You know, a lot of people were really loving his film. They were getting uh, people were starting to set the expectations for Nolan films. Um, I think it was actually the Dark Knight where everybody coined the term "in Nolan we trust" or the hashtag "in Nolan we trust." I was actually thinking of making a T-shirt for that. Oh, nice! <laughs> I'm sure one already exists. However, such a Nolan fan. <laughs> <laughs> Have a nice, nice design, I, I suppose. Did you um? Did you see this in in cinemas when it came out? I did, I did. I saw it in cinemas. Do you remember? And <laughs> I, I remember, but I think the only vivid experience I remember was just my eardrums being popped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the sound design in this is, I think, equally impressive, but also jarring. Mm. It's mm. definitely um. I'm trying to think it's definitely uh pushing into what um the kubrickism that that nolan likes to do uh with his mm. films where he's pushing what what can be told through silence and through music uh rather than through sure. dialogue so yeah. it, it reminds yep. like the amount of silence and uh just just music that's in this film is very much like 2001 mm. i kind of yeah yeah yep. it's, it's cool um I, and it's cool. It's cool for the most part. I think I do enjoy the sound design for the most part. For uh, listeners, this oh. was the first time I watched this was uh, just recently uh, with River because uh, this is one of the Nolan. Oh yeah, I forgot. So, um, I forgot. Interestingly, yeah, yeah that's like, right. Because I remembered uh, one of the ones which I, I watched after the fact was Interstellar as well, uh, which I watched oh. like maybe eight months after it came out, and I remember sure. at least at that time like feeling the wonder of interstellar uh, and discovering it long after others had already discovered it. I kind of like that with Dunkirk. Mm. I don't know. I'm like, and I think one of the things I I'm never as like connected to are films surrounding the wars. Um, 
the yeah. World Wars. I, I, I have a little bit of a, a switch off to those. But I think also at the time I remembered Dunkirk and the press behind it was, this is different. This is actually very different to other films of that, um, of that mm-hmm. make, um, even in the sense of not, not glorifying war, which is, I think, a theme in the film. But mm-hmm. I, um, I, I, yeah, I, and, I, and I very much enjoyed the, the journey. Uh, but I think we'll, when we get to some of the story and the plot notes, talk a bit more about some yep. of the things I found in it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, directed and written by Christopher Nolan on his own. And I think this is one of the very few films where he writes the film on his own. Um, he usually has his brother Jonah writing a lot of his films, but this was, it, it seems like it's a very dear project for him, a very close project for him, yeah. He's probably a big, or well, I think he is actually a big um, World War historian because, you know, he's got his his next film coming up is Oppenheimer, which has something to do with the war, the atomic bomb specifically. Oh. Um, so this is uh, single-handedly handled by Christopher Nolan. Um, and second-time direct, uh, director of photography, Hoyt Van Hoytema, um, because, you know, this was, yeah, the after second one that he done he, he, after Interstellar. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's, it's very, it's, it's very well shot. <laughs> very, very well oh shot. My gosh. Love yeah. it. Love the contrast and colors. Love the sharp image quality. Yeah. Um, and, uh, this is something interesting to know that this is Hans Zimmer's last time that he works with Chris Van Olen mm-hmm. on Dunkirk. And so, um, with, Tenant. Uh, Tenant. Um, he gets Ludwig Gorin, Gorin, Gorinson, yeah. the person who was very famous for the series Chernobyl. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That and he gets that person to come back for Oppenheimer as well. Cool. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So the last time Hans Zimmer gets used to a Nolan film, which is it's 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 like the partnership. It's like the duo that you always expect. Yeah. Nolan and Hans Zimmer. And Zimmer. Yeah. It's like yeah. Burton and Danny Elfman. Just those two exactly. that go well together. It's hard to get away from that, that big ass horn. But yeah, and Tenet brings it back right from the get go, but in a in a very different way. There's definitely a, a very different way. I think there's more. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong about this, and maybe a lot of hardcore musicians are gonna like flame me for for saying this. But I think with this Ludwig person. Um, more of like there's a lot of electronic use i think of musical com- composition yeah, yeah I, um, as far as my knowledge goes i think it's very fair and i think part of that is he's playing with forwards and backwards using using um rewinding in his music and um mm-hmm. and part mm-hmm. of that creates a technic um a tech yeah a techno vibe <laughs> to it a techno vibe yeah. whereas this is a period piece so it shouldn't have too much tech <laughs> yeah. So the people that we that start in this film, um, now there's a lot of like a little bit complicated names to pronounce, but I'm gonna try my best. We got Fionn Whitehead. I have no idea who that is. Uh, Tom Glenn Carney, Jack Loden, Harry Styles. Everybody knows Harry Styles. Harry. Probably his first. Uh, is this his first film? I'm not up. sure. I'll find it. I feel like he's um. Yeah, I feel like he's been in other films, but this is the first time I've ever seen him in a film. I actually thought he was pretty good. Um, next up, we have Anurin Bernard. I'm assuming is the French guy mm-hmm. who actually plays a French soldier. Uh, James Diasi, Barry Keegan, Kenneth Branagh, Killian Murphy, Ooh, Mark Rylance, and Tom 
Hardy. Yeah. So some very, very familiar uh, faces in there, like Kenneth Murphy, Mark Rylance, and Tom Hardy, and obviously Kenneth Branagh. Mm. Um, but, you know, the other cast members, not familiar with who they are. But, you know, as you watch the film, you notice that there's not a lot of focus on character building characterization. No, no, no. It's very much mm. the, the character is the situation. It's, it's almost like faceless faced people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the enemy is both time and and the enemy, but you never see their face. Um, Harry Styles. This you is Harry Styles' face, first um, debut film. Um, wow. Yeah, his debut film. Uh, and now he's playing a Marvel character. Yeah, which is only his third film. So he was in Love, Simon, uh, and then Eternals in a, in, um, a post-credit. And then there's, yep. I think, a biopic... Harry Styles, treat people with kindness. <laughs> oh, so altruistic. Yeah. Oh, and that's, no, sorry. That is probably one of his... Yeah, all, that, all the hardcore Harry Styles fans are going to kill me. Uh, I think that might be a music video. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's okay. Good, good job, Harry. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> so the plot, the synopsis of this film is... It's based in May 1940, Germany advanced into France i.e. Dunkirk, trapping Allied troops on the beaches of Dunkirk. Under air and ground cover from British and French forces, troops were slowly and methodically evacuated from the beach using every serviceable naval and civilian vessel that could be found. At the end of the heroic mission, 330,000 French, British, Belgian, and Dutch soldiers were safely evacuated. Did... Do we see that many soldiers evacuated at the end? I can't remember. We, um... I know there's, like, a big celebration. Yeah. There's a lot of beers going around at the end. You get the, um, the, the, the idea of it, but you're not capturing... I think there's a few, like, especially with... When we get to the one-hour plot, we get a lot more sweeping scopes of just how many people are on, the, on Dunkirk, on the beach. Mm. And if anyone's listening to this and hasn't Googled it, Google Maps Dunkirk in, in, in France, and it's an insanely large... Could you give us a description... Descriptive of like where that is geographically. Geographically, it is. Uh, it's not far from Calais, which is the traditional port where you would go to to go to the UK to London, um, to Dover. Mm. But it is just north of it, and it is a very. I think it's a very long, shallow, not reef, but like not a very easy place to land with lots of long sandbars. So it's very hard to get ships in. It's very exposed, and it was a really poor choice. Um, of place that they were kind of forced into. It's kind of, it's mm. absolutely crazy. And I think if you spend any time, like I run on beaches all the time. And if you ever spend any time on a beach, it's just like anywhere that's like got no, no trees. It's just crazy. So I do, right. I think I do really like that idea in this film, like of just like placing the scene, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Well, we'll Yeah. We'll get to that. You couldn't be any more of an open target being on a beach as such. But also you're kind of the target is also minimized because there's so many of you. So Mm. the chance of you Mm. getting hit amongst many, just the odds seem out, but someone's going to die. And that's definitely something that you, you, um, you feel that, that tension in the film, but also Mm. you feel the desperation and, um, yeah. And I actually really like the story of the first, the first plot. Uh, in this because of that yeah yeah and yeah. um, we were going to go into the first impressions but i think we're kind of given up yeah impressions exactly. anyway. do you want to elaborate a little bit more or do you want to get straight into the plot? um 
I look, I like I, my very first impressions watching it was um, that the the energy of the of this film is slow, but not in a not in a, a hard to watch way. Very much in a mm. all right, buckle down. You're on for a journey. It's going to be a slog, and there's, mm. I think one of the things Nolan does really well in this film is he makes you feel like you're there uh, and you're you're living uh, that experience uh, with these soldiers. But right. yeah, but then. The other part of me, and maybe this is just that personal preference, I was like, ah, oh, okay, I can also remove myself from it a bit. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? Did you, uh, did you enjoy it? Um, I, uh, hmm. I, I, li- I like it. I enjoy some of it, but I don't enjoy it in the same way that I enjoy most of Nolan's movies. Mm. Um, uh, it's not, it's not the kind of film that I want to rewatch. It doesn't have this kind of rewatchability quality. Yeah. Um, it's, there are some spectacles that are worth watching on a big screen. And if you ever have a chance to see this in an IMAX, if they do like a rerun or something, you know, I know that some of our local cinemas like to do reruns, especially if, um, if you have an IMAX, you know, they'll do a rerun on a lot of Nolan films. And Mm. this is definitely worth seeing in a, IMAX, um, just for its shots and its uh, image spectacle. Mm. Um, but for a movie that's an hour and 46 minutes, it feels like two hours and 46 yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah, I love that he, he and, made it a shorter and, film, right, because of that. Like, I think yeah. that's that's a very aware filmmaker to know. Ah, yeah. my film doesn't be, need to be along to tell the story it needs to tell. I can't, I like that. I was... Yeah, yeah he doesn't self-indulge, but... Um, I'm not sure if it's a good thing that I feel like the movie is way longer than its runtime because there's there isn't a lot of plotting no, in this no, movie. No. Like there isn't a lot of story that you would normally find hard to chew on with most Nolan films because no, most Nolan films are very story drenched and there's so much you have to try and take in, in such a short period of time. Even though he likes to make films that are quite long, yeah. um, but this movie is it's it's plotless <laughs> yeah, um and maybe that's the reason why i find it a little bit hard to follow is because i'm so used to our regular film expectations of following a story following the character's journey and there is a character's journey as such but the only character journey is is it's short-lived because it's really about them escaping the beach yeah. so um yeah i like it and i think i a lot of things that i dislike about the movie is probably undeserving in a way because, you know, I, I'm I'm sort of disliking it for the expectations that I that on a film that isn't there. So yeah, it's a little strange. Like I, I feel like I shouldn't dislike it the, the amount of dislike that I have. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, um, so it feels a little bit undeserved. But you know, it's it, it is a strange film. It's 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 very much like a stylized documentary. Yeah. Almost. It's almost like Nolan's like, there's other films that you can go and watch where people are like escaping a war-torn situation where it's hectic the whole time. Yeah. There's heaps of movies like that. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to make something different and I'm also going to make something... Yeah. yeah, and I think Kenneth Branagh's character is a good example of this. Make something which makes you uh, reconsider um, mm. the purpose of everything. The purpose yep. of war. And I, I like that that's there. But yeah, interesting. Yeah. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> um, all right. Well, let's get into the plot. The whole recap of the film. Um, it's broken up into three narratives: one week, one day, and one hour. And sort of the last. It's 
it's just a creative way of doing a 3x structure, I suppose. Mm. Um, and uh, you'll probably have to jog my memory on this because you probably have a better idea <laughs> about the film, Nate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but with the one week and the one day and one hour, they're basically all the same stories, but then they sort of... I, I mean, they're taking place across the same timeline, but one takes a l- one is sort of spaced across one week, mm. the other one's spaced across one day, and the other one's one hour, but they all sort of converge the timelines by the end of it. Is it? Am I getting that Yeah, right? I think they converge at different points, though. So, for instance, the one hour, okay. like if we, we take it as three parts being there's the um, the crossing of these boats coming to rescue, um, anyone that is trying to escape Dunkirk, you have the the two young men trying to escape by any means necessary uh, over the weekly, mm. and then you have Tom Hardy's character flying the plane I think there's there's crossing over points. So Tom Hardy's directly involved in saving the boat as it's um, trying to get to Dunkirk. You have yep. those boys ending up on that boat at the end of the film. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think I think early on, I can't remember if this is, is right. At a different point, Tom Hardy is on on the shores of Dunkirk, flying when the boys are there. But I. Yeah, it, again... Uh, when you're talking about the boys, are you talking about the... Not the family, no, right? are you talking the about two, the first the, boys? Yeah, the, sorry, the two, the two young boys, one of whom's French, who's uh, pretending to be a British yeah. officer or a British soldier. So that's like uh, Tommy, is it? No, Tommy and Tommy. Gibson? No. Yeah, Tommy and Gibson. Alex yeah. and Tommy are the, are the two boys that are on the boat. Um, and then there's Gibson and... Let me get the, name mm. of the young kid. He's right at the beginning, running away from sort. I think it is Tommy. Ah, oh, yeah, maybe it is. Yeah, so Gibson is the French guy who pretends to be the British officer. That's right, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then Fionn Whitehead oh. yeah, is Tommy. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I um. Get it right. I, Gosh, yeah, I know. No. But this is this is definitely <laughs> part of it that I I found frustrating, but also like yeah, well, this is the reality of it. Was it is hard to differentiate characters in this film. Uh, and it is very mm. funny whenever you see Tom Hardy sitting in his cockpit with his mask on talking because it's it, it feels like a, poor guy just uh, gets casted as the mask the guy. Mask in guy. He's films. got very pretty lips um, and and a nose that they could be using, but they pay him to just uh, sit behind that mask. So Have a mask on, yeah. Good on him. Good on mm. good on old uh, Tom. Good on him. Uh, um, but yeah, so. <laughs> Yeah, the beginning of this film, it starts off with them on the beach, as you would probably expect. Mm. Um, and there are six British soldiers walking through the desolate streets of Dunkirk, and one of them, which is Tommy, um, and they're looking at sort of abandoned houses, um, lack of food, um, some supplies and some water. And, like They're kind of looking for some necessities because you get the impression that these soldiers have been stranded for quite a while. Mm. The only thing is, like, we don't really know how long they've been stranded mm. on the beach. Um, it's just the movie takes t- uh, takes place in a certain timeline, but we don't know how long they've been there. So you can only assume they've been there for a while because they're super hungry, yeah. um, dying of thirst. And there's no human beings around other than them. There's no one. Yeah, there's no one. And so they realize that this is um, probably a stalemate. And um, um, I think it's the first gunfires uh, that we that we see in the film, um, you know, hitting the walls and stuff like that. Because is it the British soldiers? No, the French soldiers. They're telling them to like go away, yeah. or, or or come this way or something so like the, that. They're trying to tell them to get some refuge. Yeah, the French are holding like the last lines, and mm. they almost gun down Tommy, 
and then they realize yeah, Tommy and the other British yeah, guys. They realize they're English yep. um, and let them through. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we get our first dose of um, crazy sound. Yeah. 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 Um, that moment, sound design. I was, um, it, it did very much um, put, put, put you into this. The setting of the place right from the beginning right? it frightens you yeah, yeah, yeah. it jolts well, you and you're kind of like oh my god okay we're this is some intense gunfire mm-hmm. and i think it's so impressive to have that kind of impact mm-hmm. because um you know I, I guess guns and artillery and machine guns and all that kind of stuff wasn't nearly as technologically advanced as we have today so to have that kind of impact in the in that war sense kind of gives you it places you right where you should be and experiencing what the soldiers are experiencing. So I think the sound design just kicks straight in and it's like, it's so loud. I remember when I was watching an IMAX, I was like, oh my God, my ears, my ears. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of that, you know, a sort of unnerving, uh, very uh, discomforted feeling yeah. of gunshots. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. uh, gun, gunshots are usually like, you know, visual effects stuff. Oh, sorry, not visual effects, but um, sound effects that sounds movie-like. Whereas I think this is the first time that I've ever heard gun effects in Nolan films where it sounds terrifying. Real. It sounds like <laughs> that thing hits you, you're, you're dead. Like I, um, I definitely felt that too. And I, I really liked that there was a reality to it. And especially when you see it's this young boy, like who's clearly just mm. not supposed to be there. Like, it's just, why is he there? That's, it's just yep. bad. You know, like it's, it's bad. Yeah. yeah. It's not. Oh, that, that's actually a good point. It's, it's sort of a reminder of like how every single kid that was above the age of eighteen had to be drafted into the war. Um, so it's it's actually a good reminder um, whether it's, it was Nolan's intention, but I'm pretty sure it is because he's very meticulous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with uh, his films, and I think he wanted to wanted the audience to live through this experience through the eyes of a teenage boy. Yeah, well, and that's the same with the boys on the boat too. Was like this glorification, mm. this want to help. Why can't we go? Why can't we be a part of it? And then you have this tragedy yeah. happen on their way there, like, which I I thought was really clever and definitely shocking uh, as to mm. like what you're expecting. Um, yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. So we so Tommy gets out. Um, he sort of escapes the, the gunfire and makes it to the beach where thousands of British soldiers are lining up, waiting to be evacuated while a few hundred other soldiers lay dead scattered around the beach tommy tries to find a spot to relieve himself um i always find like these these kind of decisions like so interesting for a for a filmmaker to be like all right so in this scene tommy i want you to take a shit somewhere (laughs) (laughs) i always find like what is the decision behind this maybe he's making it real because you never see people shit yeah he's making it real yeah yeah, i I suppose so but you know those are the things that you just don't really care so much about you know as a but um like these types of scenes you know i've heard directors talk about them about these particular types of uh human tendencies let's say um that always get missed out in storytelling Mm -hmm. in a film um and that's for obvious reasons you know because you got a very limited time to tell a story Mm -hmm. Uh, i think the last thing you want to do is just watch a a guy having a piss or taking a shit um so very limited storytelling so i always like find it interesting that filmmakers want to put this kind of stuff in a film, but I think this is really to portray um, this. I mean, this this idea of uh, desperation, yeah. Yeah. and desperation means that you know you'll you'll take a shit anywhere, yeah. <laughs> um, and he doesn't even attempt to like sort of hide it either. Yeah. You know, he's like he's like taking a shit in the middle of the beach. I guess it's, like, it's like, not like it's up in the dunes a little bit, a little away from everyone else. Like everyone, yeah. everyone's probably had to do it at one point. So they're like, oh, leave him alone. We all know how awkward this is. Yeah. We all know, and and he doesn't like he he 
he doesn't like completely get embarrassed yeah. when he sees the French guy yeah. um, who's bearing another soldier, but he's obviously taking his clothes to pretend to be a British soldier. Yeah. Um, and then Tommy goes over to help him at that point. Yeah. I, um, I like, um, and this is something that again is really well done in this because there's three elements here at play where these two create a mutual bond of um, desperation and survival. Mm. That sense mm-hmm. of not using, like, firstly, not using any any words to do this is really clever. Because you can't speak English. Because you yeah. can't speak English. But also, it's continuing to create that tension of desperation and survival, but also of secrecy. So all at once, mm. just by them not saying anything, and by him holding his secret of it knowing that his English... He's pretending to be English, but he's not gonna. He's not gonna tell anyone. It's really cool. Mm. Like I, yeah, it's it's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it's an interesting way to start a relationship because um, they're both in such dire circumstances yeah. that verbal communication is is not a priority. Yeah. So they they really just um, kind of wing it together. And and I love that that he we get to meet. Oh, sorry, we get the main character meeting another character to sort of tag along on this journey. Yeah. And doing exactly what you're saying, which is um, emphasizing more what are the undertones of the film, which is desperation. It's it's um it's about it's about fear. It's about evacuation. And yeah, the fact that they don't have any uh, verbal cues is <laughs> it's, it's it's very very clever. Yeah. And it's immediately gratified because not too long later, when they're both taking an injured soldier on the medical boat, um, there's a whole bunch of French officers that are denied entry. Like they're like no. English mm. through first, our wounded through first, you're not as important as mm. us. And that tension that's also there that even amongst allies, there's there's still racial tension and there's still um, us over any anyone else. And we're going back to our yeah. country and we're leaving your country yeah. behind, even though you've been looking mm. after us and, you know, you've been a part of our protection. Like, it's kind of, it's really, yeah, it's very uh, human and inhuman. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Good film. Good um, film. So, I'm enjoying. I mean, I'm enjoying like <laughs> dissecting this. This is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I, th- I think we're probably going to find that we enjoy the film a lot more as we talk about it. Yeah. Um. So uh, Tommy finds a wounded soldier left for dead. Uh, he and Gibson pretend to be medics to carry the soldier on board because at, at this point we're starting to realize that there is a priority for people that are injured and people that need medical care. Mm. Um, so they're the ones that are going to be evacuated first. So they, they feel like they can get away with this by being pretending med- pretending to be medics and carrying like a, a wounded soldier. Mm. Um, they pass a group of French soldiers trying to get on but are being denied entry under orders. And Tommy and Gibson, Gibson are not allowed onto the boat with the injured soldier they carried. But they managed to hide out by the mole. Now, the mole. The, so, so the mole is the ship, right? Am I getting this right? The mole is the ship. No, I thought the mole was the French kid. Oh, I thought it was the ship. Yeah, no, no, the, the French the kid's sh- a mole, <laughs> and they're trying to. He's trying to escape by pretending to be English. That's what I thought. I thought by. <laughs> oh, okay, 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 okay. Unless, I, I, unless, I thought unless, it was... unless mole meant the mole of like you know a, a traditional Mexican chili sauce. <laughs> I don't think it meant that. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe one of the uh, characters had like a mole on his face. <laughs> mole, mole, mole. Uh, uh, the, the boat they're attempting to board for is attacked by more German aircraft and sunk. Um, 
but they have a soldier named Alex, who is Harry Styles, um, from being crushed. They save him, sorry, uh, from being crushed. So this is the first time that we get to meet Harry Styles as well. Mm. Um, and, then, and then this whole uh, sort of one week sort of passes on to we meet Kenneth Branagh's uh, character, Commander Bolton. Do we ever hear names in this, by the way, other than like I think there's a, George and <laughs> I think that's pot- pot- like potentially. I, I think the interesting thing is like Kenneth Branagh and then James Darcy's characters. They're like the only yeah. ranked soldiers, like in the film, aside yeah. from Tom Hardy being mm-hmm. a pilot and Killian Murphy's character being like supposedly being uh, like traumatized. Yeah, soldier but he's like he yeah. seems like he's a bit higher up. Um, so I think they 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 talk to each other by their ranks, like call each other commander and colonel. But right. otherwise, I don't know. I can't remember. I just <laughs> can't remember like any names. I think, and all. I think that's part of it. Like this whole film, even like these characters, like the boys, they just stick out to you by the, what their actions are, not by their names. Even their names are very like unimportant in some ways. Like, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. the whole focus is supposed to be about the um, operation itself. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, mm. but yeah, um, so you have yeah, you have Kenneth Branagh and. Um, uh, C- Colonel Colonel Winnet mm. Uh, but standing by the docks to negotiate the rescue and safe return of the soldiers, mm-hmm. they opt to use boats to bring them back, but determine that the mole is their only viable way to destroy. Yeah, right. so the mole it's, is the, is the ship. ship. Yeah, you're yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, and so that's the first ship that they go on to, yeah. and um, and then I, I guess here that ship gets shot um, down. Hey, it gets shot down by German soldiers yeah. um, in the air. As well, yeah, German soldiers in there, and this is kind of when they start to prompt um, uh, Tom Hardy's character yeah. to to get in behind him. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> one thing that I'll say that it feels a little bit unbelievable is that how is there only like one British, British like, ship left? Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that um, was very famous about World War Two was that there was definitely always a shortage, an outclassing, and particularly because to get ships, um, to get planes over to Europe wasn't as much the issue mm. as constantly having to refuel them and having safe spaces for refueling. And um, right. the Germans were just better. Um, I think they are just better equipped generally uh, with ships. Yeah, they just had better artillery, right? Yeah, better artillery. Mm. So that was good. And I think this was kind of the go was that the English pilots were better. But it's kind of like Top Gun. Like watching the latest Top Gun where you're like, aren't you like America and you have like the best things in the world? Like have everything. But yeah. then, well, how come this other country yeah. has better things than you and better trained pilots than the top gun? Mm. You know, like it's kind of a bit like that. Just yeah. undermining your enemy, I guess. Yeah. If you ever want, if for listeners, if you ever want to listen to uh, or read a good story around this, that's just kind of fun and interesting is Roald Dahl's uh, going solo. So Roald Dahl, like the author of like Charlie and the mm. Chocolate Factory and all that. He has all these stories from when he was flying through Africa and through Germany during World War Two uh, as a fighter pilot. It's really cool, and and it's really like you just have like a sandwich with you, a bottle of water, and you're just constantly keeping an eye on your petrol levels, and that's your life. And you're just going from <laughs> like place to place, and you're seeing how many how many how many times you you have to be able to shoot at other planes before you have to go back and refuel. Like it was like such a game of chess. Yeah. Roll Dahl recommendations. Yeah, right? Roll Dahl. Yeah. Um, we'll get to that when we get to Dessie Anderson. <laughs> True. Dessie um, Anderson. I'm trying to think, like, was there more than just one British pilot that, in the so air? I think that was part of it, was that 
either because no, obviously we're just focused on Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy, yeah, but I think there might have been a a moment when there was another plane, but I actually can't remember. And again, that was part of it. Was mm. there's so many almost faceless or unmemorable faces in the whole movie, um, and that, I feel like that that was very intentional from like from color palette, from what people were wearing, from the way people talked, like. Mm. It's yeah, yeah. It was really interesting. I yeah, I found yeah. it a really strange choice, but um, that is a strange choice yeah. because because it almost seems like completely unrealistic for as for as much as the film um, endeavors to make it realistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's just probably a lack of knowledge, you know, not a lack of like us understanding like how this whole Dunkirk situation. Yeah, it's like there's like um, ten people in charge and half a million people <laughs> trying to skip. Yeah, like you crazy. know, I'm like, how is this even possible? Yeah. But actually, it does remind me of the dialogue that uh, Kenneth Browner and uh, James D'Arcy have when they're talking about how, what what does Churchill want? You know, does, hmm. um, I think there was a little bit of doubt whether Churchill was going to actually, With you know, save them, them or... Yeah. Or just yeah. leave them for dead. Um, or, or just leave them to dead, yeah. yeah, because that's the kind of tough decision you have to make in that kind of situation. Yeah. Um. So Tommy Gibson and Alex, they all gather on the British Red Cross vessel. They get a little bit of food and water. Alex meets Tommy and uh, notices Gibson walking around looking uneasy. The boat is hit by a torpedo and water begins to flood the lower decks. As the ship sinks, Gibson gets out of the ship and manages to open the hatch for Tommy, Alex, and a few other men to get out safely. Mm. They board a skiff back to the shore. Is this the one where it's like target practice? No, no, it's but it's freaking hectic. And I just remember them eating sandwiches when they get on the boat and getting cups. Yeah, of milk. yeah, yeah. That yeah. was like very. Yeah. I was like, oh, I just want a sandwich. Sandwiches <laughs> and milk. A peanut butter sandwich right now and a cup of milk. Um, yeah, can, like <laughs> I can only imagine myself in that situation. And be like, um, is there any like Fruit? butter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, is there any like peanut butter I could have? I got a, I got a peanut, <laughs> peanut allergy miss. <laughs> <laughs> I have some protein expectations. Yeah, yeah. I missed out on my shake this morning. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> my salami. Oh. <laughs> um. Yeah. I, so that was that was yeah. epic. And I think there's a part where I, I can't remember if this was at the very end. They filmed it like this, but they also do it at this point when the ship goes under. Um, the the oh, half yeah, and, you, and you're watching. Camera. Oh yeah, that yes, was definitely, such that a was good definitely at the end. But I think they might have, he might have done this in this part too. He, he does it in like this part as well. Angles. Yeah, and so you have this like disconcerting yep. like level of where's up, where's you know where's down, where's the hatch. Like mm. that was really that was sick. Uh, I mean, this it it does so well to give you that sense of claustrophobia, that um, really uneasing um, discomfort um, with like drowning and. And all that kind of stuff. Like when when the soldiers are struggling in the water and they can't quite swim, mm. um, you do get that sense of drowning, and it's it's quite scary. That tension builds up quite well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So back back on the beach, uh, surviving the British soldiers join up with a small group of Scottish soldiers heading to the boat within the tide. The British soldiers hide in there, but since they are technically on German land. They soon get hit by bullets from German soldiers. This is the target practice. Um, This must be a big part in Dunkirk history because why else would Nolan put this in the film? I think think Um, he... Why would he put like target practice from Germans in a... I think he just wanted to create a tense situation and I think this is part of it. He's creating a narrative within like his own 
fictional narrative within what happened in the story. So I reckon this mm. this was just a great that like there's so many perfect points of tension. There's three competing mm. groups: the Scottish, the English, and this one French mole. You have, which I think also must be like a little secondary nod to the mole. Um, mm. <laughs> yeah, you have this this heated argument that's happening as they're all trying to escape, and then you have the tension of both the water rising to take the boat out and the Germans shooting at it at first yep. just for fun, but then secondly shooting yep. at the boat because they're in there and it's hectic and they're like trying to get rid of this kid and like yeah that was nuts mm. they have two things don't drown and don't get shot yeah um and the whole thing kind of escalates so well um as where you know Hans Zimmer does um a lot of his fine work in this film where the score kind of blossoms throughout these really tense moments especially with the gunfire and all that um um so the the bullet holes start to leak in water Alex suggests that they throw Gibson out to lighten the boat, yeah. <laughs> going so far as to accuse him of being a German spy since he hasn't spoken the whole time, possibly to disguise his accent. Speaking for the first time, Gibson reveals to uh, re- reveals himself to be French and that he took the uniform and tags off another soldier, the one he was bearing in the beginning. So, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. So he can be evacuated. The boat floats out of Dunkirk, but soon starts sinking. The soldiers make it out, except for Gibson, who gets caught on something and drowns. Mm. Um, yeah, that was, that was a pretty tragic uh, scene. And, and I, I love the way the camera is um, got this kind of bobbing effect, you know, sort of going up and down, giving you that um, sickening feeling that you're also drowning as well. Yeah. As you <laughs> and, and, uh, and the um, lights pulling away. It, yeah, ridiculous. Mm. Really. Yeah. It's, it's really ridiculous. I think, I think, and I think that's one part to this film is the way that uh, Nolan uses water in his filming and how he uses like um, handheld cam as well is like it's just crazy. Mm. It's very cool. Yeah, he's really cool. Um, there, there's also that scene you know on the Red Cross boat, you know, where everybody's like, you know, jumping out. You know, going back to that Red Cross part where the the ship's getting like attacked mm. and everybody's jumping out. Mm. There's something also uh, scary about that image it's like that whole imagery of like people jumping up buildings and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> jumping off of a pl- off of a boat it almost has that same kind of impact it's that desperation um, it's a boat is safety in a sea and so if you're jumping into yep. a sea what like you're you're giving up on life that's a, yeah it's hectic and that's and maybe that's part of it too uh, the sea is the only escape but it's also certain death if you're um <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's almost certain death if you're just trapped there without any rescue. Because I think that's because um, that's what Killian Murphy's characters will get to in a sec. That's what his whole point is as well. Um, he's like he's given up and he knows exactly how dire all of it is. Um, mm. Yeah, wild. Yeah, it is wild. So we get into the second narrative, which is one day the sea. Uh, the Royal Navy starts taking over private boats in an effort to rescue soldiers stranded at Dunkirk. And this is the uh, part of the film. It actually happens a little bit before, too. You know, yeah. we get introduced to Mark Rylance's yeah. character and his uh, his kids, George and... Peter. Uh, Peter? Peter. Yeah, and George is the one that's played by uh, Billy Keegan. Right? Barry. Barry Keegan. <laughs> Barry Keegan. Barry. <laughs> Sorry. The other Barry. Barry Keegan. Get it right. <laughs> um... Yeah, so we get introduced in earlier, but then in this uh, second narrative, um, we get more of an emphasis as to, you know, how the civilians are actually helping up with uh, the evacuation as well. Because we know that at this time, that it's not just um, 
like there's so there's like hundreds of thousands of soldiers that need to be evacuated so they need the help of civilians and um this is where we get that introduction properly and the boat pass, passes a sunken British ship. They find a shell-shocked soldier played by Killy Murphy in the water. Mm. Mr. Dawson asks his name, but the soldier is silent. George tries to tries tending to him with some tea, but the soldier knocks it out of his, his hand. When the soldier learns from Mr. Dawson that they are hit as Dunkirk, the soldier desperately tries to take control of the boat from Mr. Dawson. Um, and uh, I, I guess this the dialogue that they have, it's very minimal dialogue, you know, between. Um, What's his face? Mark Rylance's character and Killian Murphy's Murphy, yeah. character. Very little dialogue, but you can see the desperation in Killian Murphy's face yeah. that you cannot go back to Dunkirk, yeah. you know? I just left there. We need to leave there. Yeah. Um, I like the best intentions of the two kids trying to help him at first. And like, it's like just yeah. leave him alone. Like, he's, he's yeah. like, he's, the light's out of it, like, gone, left his eyes. He has lost all spark or, like, sense of, like... And he's lost reason. He's lost all sense of... Uh, like hope, yeah. I suppose. We um, do we see him? We see him uh, at an earlier point in the uh, one week. So he is also on, who Killian Murphy. He's also on the mole boat. Uh yeah. I think we don't see that until the end of the film. Though. That's right. Okay. Yep. Yep. But, uh, yeah. I was like, it's like once we get to the one hour part, it's like when we we see all the timelines come together. together. We see that. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah, and, and I think that's where I actually got confused, to, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> I was like, "Oh man, Killy Murphy doesn't seem like so traumatized." <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like oh, when no. it jumps back to, it kind of does a, you know, it kind of goes back to the beginning of the event, kind of yeah. yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so yeah, George uh, tries to uh, soldier dispute tries to. Yep. Um. The ensuing struggle leads to George falling to the bottom of the boat and hitting his head hard. Yeah. This was actually a bit of a shock because I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, so we get a death from a character that's seemingly not like a main character, but he's kind of important because he's the innocent. civilians play. <laughs> yeah, he, well, he's innocent, but also like you know the civilians play a, a huge role in the evacuation and rescue of soldiers, mm. and then we just kind of kill him. I, I'm like, it's it's such a weird choice. Mm. In my opinion, I thought it was a very weird choice to just have him die like that. Maybe it's an expression on like, you know, random things happen in acts of desperation. Yeah. And you do get accidents like this. So I thought it was a bit strange. <laughs> yeah, it, it just made the whole um, the whole thing extra hopeless. I remember when it happened, I was like, frick. Doesn't matter if they save <laughs> anyone now. They, like the really that's a, that's a good sweet point. kids yeah, a good like point. already like he's already like gone. Um, and I think and he, later on, yeah, when you I find think out he was like he's died. Like that's mm. that's heavy. That's like and um, and the other boy Peter needs to um, needs to come to terms with step up. that. But also, he's also completely reconsidering why they even went to save these people. Yeah. Yep. Wild. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Yeah. Now you reminded me is that like this this point of the film their relationship and also their desires to go help Dunkirk, it also gets impacted and it, it makes them doubt more of like their intentions of getting to Dunkirk. Mm. Um, does the father cry? Does he cry about, does he mourn he his son? He cries or? at the end. Yeah. He's, um, does he? I think oh, okay. he like, he really, um, I don't, I just don't remember any kind of emotional. It's, it's, um, it's a very cold, again, film. like, um, talk about Nolanisms, uh, 
all all the main characters and all the side characters are just white men, <laughs> but which makes sense of this film, of course. However, uh, there's definitely an element too of like, what does masculinity look like? What does it mean to be brave? And Killian Murphy's considered a coward. You have Tom Hardy, who's like mm. very much the opposite of that, which we'll see in a bit. But also these two, yeah. or the all four of the or five of the young boys, kind of representing different forms of trying to be men. So like yep. Barry, um, uh, Barry Keegan's character is trying to be helpful, and Peter's trying to just diligently do what his father asks of him. Mm. Or you have these other two boys that are kind of being disowned. They're also like Killian. They're on the other side of that, where they're trying whatever they can to survive screw on up mm. um yeah so i think there's a lot of like juxtaposition between the characters of like a spectrum mm. of different ways to go about war yep yeah um yeah yeah true 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 yes good good points good points no. um <laughs> george gradually starts to lose his eyesight peter tells his father but mr dawson says they have uh come too far and they will not turn back, um, um, and yeah, I mean, this is there's kind of like a, a chuck of the film where it's it's focused on, I guess, the human tendencies um, within a family dynamic. So, kind of cool. And so that one day thing is is quite short. We get into the third part uh, of the narrative, or the third narrative, I should say, the one hour part. So. This is where the tension starts to build a lot higher. Um, there's uh, we get a lot more um, dog fights here. You know, with Tom Hardy comes into the fray, he's a bit more of a focus here, which is nice. Mm. Three Spitfire pilots fly over the sea to provide air support to the troops, the squadron. So there is like yeah, a few other Spitfire uh, pilot people from the British. Uh, the squadron leader plus pilots are Farrier, which is Tom Hardy, and Collins, oh, played yeah. by Jack Loudon. Shut yeah. down. Um, that was hectic. They get shut down. Dude, yeah, that was that was crazy. <laughs> this film is coming back to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming back. Um, spot Emmy one oh nine German fighter planes in the sky and go after them. Uh, one of the Germans shoot down the squadron leader, leaving Farrier and Collins on their own. Farrier's fuel gorge is broken, so he does his best to preserve fuel and take the enemy plane down. <laughs> you know, when he's like, when he's preserving the fuel, I'm like, man, this guy's running on empty for some very, very long. This seems very unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> it's only an hour. It's only an hour, you know? Like, <laughs> okay. Like, I don't remember my fuel tank lasting an hour like that. <laughs> I guess, uh, I guess we got to suspend disbelief, you know? I yep. think, um, yep. I think part of, the again like that ge- geographical like the element of even the boats like like just um going across the strait from dover to Calais, like just doing that trip it just reminds you of how close the uk is to france and like how close mm-hmm. um these this space is this battleground is uh but also it's mm. like it's so funny to think such a small like almost a no man's land kind of thing is mm-hmm. actually like it's not that big a space between safety and death. Yep. Um, yep. But I, I think we also we also get a better sense of um, <clears throat> uh, geography with the dogfight scenes because you know the air is probably like the most space that they can use to hide. Mm. I suppose. Mm. Um, you know, whereas on the beach it's a bit more confined and a bit more limited. I suppose. Yeah. Um, 
So it's really cool that we get this, you know, differentiation between land and sky. Um, it sort of breaks up the monotony mm. a bit as well, mm. which is a good part of the film. Um, Colin's plane is shot down and he heads down to the water. He tries to break himself free from the cockpit, but with the cockpit jammed and flooding the water, he nearly drowns. Mm. Collins is broken out by Peter and his father's boat as managed to reach him on time. Mm. Um, and then this, this kind of brings it back into that locale that we're familiar with yeah. when Collins playing goes down. Yeah. They bring Collins on board from his later conversation with Mr. Dawson. We learn that Peter's older brother was an RAF pilot who died in early weeks of the war. Mm-hmm. I don't remember this part this of the is film. The part, <laughs> this is the part where Mark Rylance's character does cry. Oh. And he gets really... And, and, and he yeah. has this sense of, like, don't tell me I don't know what this is, like, what the cost of this mm. is. Like, I've lost a son to this. Yep. Uh, and we're just doing our part now. Mm. Um, it's all coming back to me. That, and like, like I said, that well. sense of catharsis, is de- it's definitely built into... The grand work is done in the early parts of the film, but you don't feel like it's mm. being done in the early parts of the film. You, you just feel like yeah. stuff's happening, and then suddenly it mm-hmm. all kind of comes together. Um, exactly. Um, yeah, this is the point where all the groups come together it's on the waters. More private British boats show up in the waters to rescue the soldiers. The soldiers spot a minesweeper and head toward it until it is hit by one of the German bombers. Yeah. The water fills with oil. As, oh, yeah, this is a crazy part where, yeah, yeah, where the water fills with oil and everybody's, like, drenched in that black tar kind of stuff. It's, ugh, yeah. just to make matters worse, right? Yeah. And then, obviously, like, everybody is completely flammable. <laughs> and, and the um, crashes into it. Yeah, yeah. You just didn't, you just don't expect it to kind of get worse. And, you know, because you think, okay, well... Being stranded, they need to be evacuated. They don't have food. They don't have water. They don't have shelter. Um, you know what else could go wrong? <laughs> and then they all get drenched um, in freaking oil, and everyone becomes completely flammable. So um, that just brings up that other point of um, you know human survival is and, and human fear is that we got drowning, we got fire, <laughs> we got got gunshots you know like bombing it's like it's the worst of the worst of fears i suppose yeah and it's 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 funny though because again like this film has this like very mellow vibe like the whole time and then for this all kind of just culminate at the end but maybe this is like the part that i did have maybe issue with and again it's like well it's just a true thing that happened so i guess you can't be annoyed when more doesn't happen but you do expect almost in a sense more. But the miracle of the film is the survival of so many people. And maybe you're right. Like I think mm. maybe that's part of it is the scope of the film. It doesn't seem as big, but you can also put that mm-hmm. down to Nolan trying to be really true to filmmaking and saying, look, it's really unrealistic without CGI to try and really yep. like without a lot of CGI and a lot of other work to give mm-hmm. an even bigger scope, you know, like, like, um, and it's almost like Villeneuve, like if you imagine Villeneuve did this film, he could kind of give even more scope from, from, from some, like from some perspectives in his filmography, mm. but I don't know if he could mm. do what Nolan does in terms of his storytelling. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 yeah I, I'll get what you're saying. But you know, Vene- uh, 
<laughs> Villeneuve and Nolan are very similar. Yeah. Very similar in the way they like to shoot their films. Yep. Soundscape. Um, and scope. Sound, yeah, sound, scope, uh, music composition, characters. Yeah, they're very, very similar in that sense. I think the thing that differentiates them is probably... Um, hmm. What would differentiate them? I think more um, Villeneuve is more, no, no. uh, more of an artist, whereas uh, mm. Nolan's more of a concepts person. Like, I think he's caring mm. more about uh, uh, a concept or a theme and bringing that across. Villeneuve's caring more about um, an emotional scope. In his sure. Like, like, Nolan's very I mean, emotionless in his films. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would say that... Um, I would say that... Uh, Nolan takes a lot more risks. Yeah, um, he takes a lot more risk when it comes to ideation and bringing some of those ideas. To, like he's not afraid in doing them. Um, whereas I think Denis Villeneuve is a bit more of a safe um, filmmaker in that sense. Because if you look at all his films, they're very classic and safe storytelling aspects. You know, um, Nolan just likes to throw the spanner in the books every single time for better or for worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. and for the most part it works out. Sometimes it doesn't quite work out. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, yep, 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 yep. Uh, Ferrier manages to shoot down the attacking German Du 17 bomber as he runs out of fuel and heads toward the beach to make a safe landing. Meanwhile, Peter Collins and the shivering soldier pull as many men out of the, um, Onto the boat as they can, including Alex and Tommy. Alex points out to the Dawsons um, that George is dead. The nameless shell-shocked soldier, unaware that George has died, asks Peter if George will be okay. Peter lies, saying that he will be. <laughs> um, interesting, right? Mm. I think it's it's probably Peter's way of, I don't know, showing... A little bit of courage, but also try not to further traumatize um, Killian Murphy's character. Yeah. Um, I thought that's a... It's it's interesting, but it's also kind of like these weird choices that I was telling you before about Dunkirk and the way it's filmed. Mm. There's a lot of strange choices. George dying. <laughs> um, and maybe after your explanation, it's not as strange anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and, then, and then also Peter sort of just kind of lying to uh, Killian Murphy's character just as a way to, I don't know, say, placate, like, save placate, him from extra trauma. Yeah, placate him in the situation. Like, because now, mm. now they've done the job that they set out. They've done do, the job. And yeah. they've lost someone in the process. They, I don't know. It's almost like, yeah. It's very, and again, this is that thing about um, maybe the story of the younger, the younger men in this movie is that they're becoming mature and they're learning from mm-hmm their seniors' mistakes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after taking out the German bomber before it can destroy the mole, Farrier lands his plane slowly by the shore. He sets his plane on fire and is soon captured by German soldiers. This is the so un- <laughs> unlucky ending from uh, for Ton Hardy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, unlucky, mate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you did your hard work, you put in all the, you know, <laughs> put in everything that you had, even down to the last drop of your fuel, and then you have to be um, captured. Yeah. It's a bit, bit 
but un- unlucky. <laughs> <laughs> the Dawsons return home following the rescue. Peter gets a picture of George and takes it to the local paper. So the boy may be remembered as a hero. Um, okay, he wasn't that much of a hero. No, <laughs> <laughs> no but I think, again, this is part of it. Like for Peter, he's, he's aware of what mm. Killian's been through. And now they've also seen some of how insane this war was with these people being burnt yep. alive. That maybe That's for it. him, he's like, well, my friend needs to be remembered, but I also don't need to dishonor this person. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's it's really just a representation of uh, regular civilians that were drafted into the war that helped out the evacuation of many, many men. Um, Bolton and Winnett mentioned having saved 338,000 men after only planning to rescue 30,000. Yeah. Bolton stays to make sure the French can evacuate. He sees Winnett and the last of the British army off. Very much what a commander would normally do, right? It's always yeah. the last. It's always the leader. <laughs> it's always the leader that takes the last uh, foot. Last foot? What am I trying to say? Last, the last step. Yeah. First one in, last the lady. <laughs> Yes, yeah. that, that's that's exactly what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that kind of reminds me of... Um, have you seen We Were Soldiers, the Mel Gibson movie? No, no I haven't. But... Mm, great war movie. Probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite war film. Wow. Because um, that is a very emotional film. Yeah. It made me cry for days. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very good. It is a very, very good film. Sounds heavy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very heavy. Uh, Mel Gibson plays... Colonel Hal, I can't remember his last name, but remember his name's Colonel Hal, and he plays a very strong and uh, vigilant and uh, brave leader for the people that he leads into war. Mm. Uh, Seventh Cavalry, I think, is what it's called, mm. into Vietnam. Oh, hectic! And um, he talks about how, like, I'll be the first to set foot on land, and I'll be the last to set foot on land, and, and I will. And he says something like. I will never leave anybody behind dead or alive. Mm. So with all the soldiers that, that died under his command, he made sure all those soldiers went back home. Mm. Pretty powerful. Very powerful. Very cool. Um, it's, I, and then, sorry, I was just going to say, because I used to live in Canberra and I remembered one element that was uh, like at the national war memorial where you go there, there's like the 20. Kind of I love that national war memorial, by the way. It's, Love beautiful it. space it's a very beautiful space it's my um one of my friends used to work there and her mum was the or still is the uh lead uh education officer there and in terms of mm-hmm. seeking to tell stories for um for remembrance and for um us to also consider the costs of war like they do a really good job mm-hmm. of making sure not to glorify war but to actually look at the stories of individuals and uh mm-hmm. the amazing things they've done and I remembered one element of the 20 tenants uh, in the National War Memorial is mateship, uh, but also like those are elements of courage and um, um, sacrifice. Uh, and mm-hmm. um, and I kind of yeah, it's um, those elements which are kind of yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see them here in this film, but it's a really interesting one. There's so much like internal politicking of everyone is a soldier, a nameless face, but everyone also has their own agenda and what they want to mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. I love that museum. Um, first time I went there, I pretty much spent the entire day. Oh, really? Loved, yeah, I love reading a lot of the stories. Um, I love how there's like 
um, a timeline aspect to the War Memorial. You, you know, you can through, go from yeah. as you walk through. You know, you start from like World War One. Does it go prior to World War One? Yeah. Does it do yeah, any yeah, of the I other wars? Through, um, kind of any and all conflicts Australia's ever been. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty cool, and then it gets to like modern war with like with Middle East and Afghanistan, and really, really cool. Loved it. It's like four levels, isn't it? Yeah, and there's a big hangar out the back, and they have like planes inside, like hanging from the roof. Yes, that's Crazy. right. And they do like a whole they do like a whole cinematic thing, yeah, don't they? Yeah, like, Where the whole thing turns out, uh, the lights turn off, and then there's like projectors everywhere. And the planes, like, yeah, yeah, it's oh my insane. gosh, it's very, very cool. Very Love cool. it. Love it. <laughs> Um, so we get to this last part, you know, in England, the British soldiers are sent home on a train. Alex thinks that they will be met with scorn upon returning for this defeat. He sees a newspaper with a message from Winston Churchill regarding the evacuation and unable to handle the scorn, asks Tommy to read it. As Tommy reads it upon entering the station, a man approaches the window and hands Alex two beers. Other people welcome the soldiers back with applause. Tommy finishes reading Church's statement, which commends the bravery and efforts of the soldiers and the miraculous escape they just participated in. However, the quote goes on to remind the public that evacuations alone do not win wars, but concludes with the vow never to surrender. Hmm. And that is Dunkirk. Dunkirk, indeed. How did you like that ending? With Winston Churchill kind of has, like, the final say here. I Look, I find Churchill's a really interesting, like... Because when we finished watching this, I thought it was really interesting that there's a namelessness to any higher-up on the enemy side. And there's a name mm. behind the higher-up of the English side. And I, I think it's really funny mm-hmm. with Churchill because those, those elements of, um, like, uh, what would it be? A, a public... A public idea of his care for people versus what these soldiers have been mm-hmm. through. Uh, there's, it's like, barren, mm-hmm. like it doesn't, doesn't fit, but um, at the same time, it still means something too. Like he needs to say those mm-hmm. things and these soldiers do know what, um, what was done, but they also know what wasn't done. And like the very real sense that they could have just been left there. So um, yeah, it, it leaves them looking less fondly upon their country. Yeah, I yeah, I, I have issues with war. <laughs> Funnily enough, I have issues with war. Wild, but um, mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. yeah, it's I think a lot of people have issues with war. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not, but not I, I think war. a lot of these. <laughs> no, 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 not an uncommon opinion. Yeah. However, you know, the our opinions are much more, let's say, prevalent and a bit more intellectual these days with war because we live in a freer society now yeah. without the same kind of you know, trial and tribulation that they went through during World War One and World War Two. Well, wars are fought so, online and with buttons and mm. in, in, in rooms with people. Like, it's it's still mm-hmm. the same, but the the element towards what casualty is is very different, yeah, now. Yep, it's very, very different. And, yeah, I'm pretty sure nobody really shared the same sentiment or opinion back then although there are probably a lot of people that disagree with how war was treated however i can only imagine that all they really wanted to think about was survival and all they really wanted to think about was how can they live for the next day Mm, for sure um i can't imagine that kind of lifestyle at all (laughs) yeah here we are we we worry about like we worry about like you know um 
when can we get like you know what good cafe is going to have a great batch brew or something you know this <laughs> these are the kind of things that we worry about the next day um Francis, it's hard you can listen to legit coffee our other podcast <laughs> 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 you know, the amount of times that i get asked to do a coffee pod. um podcast yeah on coffee we should call it coffee pod. it's just <laughs> <laughs> ah, uh. i'd rather not do a coffee podcast i mean if somebody wants to invite me to a coffee podcast happy to join happy to yeah, be a guest but i'm sure that, i don't want to sure i don't want to talk coffee. about coffee for a podcast it's funny because we have a, i have another friend who also he's also uh in in the hospitality industry and he also does podcasts on movies and anime and all sorts of things but he oh. he um you haven't told me about this person. Oh yeah, yeah. wait, have you? Uh, I might have mentioned it, but because uh, yeah, we'll we'll do a shout out for the next next. Um, we should do a crossover episode. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Oh, we'll get him to be a guest or something. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Luke uh, Skinny Lim. I think he. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's like you don't really. That's our day job, guys. We don't want to, <laughs> we don't talk about it. On the time off. Well, it's your day job, oh, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> got, it was a, it was a past out. life for River me. Really got out. <laughs> I got a, I got a, I still love to drink it. I still love to go to cafes, obviously. Um, but, opinions. Uh, I got a lot to talk about, definitely with <laughs> with coffee. Yeah. It's just it's having it as a podcast. It's not. It hasn't really appealed to me. Yeah. I I enjoy talking about movies way more <laughs> than, than talking about coffee. But hey, nonetheless. All right, let's uh conclusion. And ranking. Remember, we've got to do this as our uh, Nolan ranking system. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so we'll kind of have to... Actually, we'll do a lot of that later. Like, especially at the end of Tenet, we'll rank all the Nolan films side by side. In the lead-up. But what is your... Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your... Okay, sorry. I just love this transition. What's this one here? No, that's not as good. This one's good. <laughs> that's more Nolan-esque. I feel, like, um, yeah, I feel like you need like the rank number to fall down onto screen as, as you play that. Like this? like Yeah. And that's my rank. 7.8? Uh, I'm missing 8. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm a little surprised by that. It's a little higher than I expected. It's like, like admit, honestly, because I, 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 I think out loud and I think in dialogue with others, in talking about this mm. film, I appreciate it more. It's not one I'm going to yep. come back to yep, I agree. for a long, long time if I come back to it. Mm. Oh, no, I will. I will come back to this film. And I think I'll appreciate it more as I get older. I think like it was something that even maybe Inception. There was, there's been a few movies lately, actually Interstellar, where I was like, wow, I, I, um, I, I feel like I fit more into uh the perspective of the older the older characters and the younger characters and even like Tom uh, Mark Rylance's character the dad on the boat I think as I get older you'll appreciate those kinds of those kinds of characters more but yeah I, I really I really mm. enjoy it it's definitely not my favorite Nolan movie but it's definitely a good mm. time it's a mm. it is phenomenally shot and I I think it's yeah if they you know if you have desert island movies it's not going to be one of my desert island movies but Nah, man, Castaway. Castaway is a bizarre movie. <laughs> it's, uh, specifically. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So 7.8. Mm. What about you? What about what's your, okay. what's your rank? Cool. Um, I will probably go 7.5. Now, before doing the recap, um, it was like 6.8, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Like a, 
like almost an acceptable seven and not quite a six, but I think I'd probably go for a seven point five because I'm like you. After discussing this um, for the last hour or so, I've built a new appreciation for it. Um, it's helped us understand more what Nolan's intent is behind each shot, the break of um, all three narratives, yep. how they converge together by the end, yep. um, sort of climaxing in this, uh, um, I guess, and a huge respect to the ambitious nature of having to get out of Dunkirk mm. and that being acknowledged by the chief, um, chief in charge, chief, chief, commander? <laughs> what am I trying to say? Uh, chief commander. Chief. Yeah. Commander in chief. There we go. Um, Winston Churchill. Um, so it's a nice little ending to it. It's, it still doesn't, you know, have this very cathartic ending that you would find in most films, yeah. especially with a Nolan film. Yeah. But I, I guess you don't really expect that because with anybody that knows anything about Dunkirk is that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a success. It wasn't triumphant as such. at all. It wasn't triumphant because it was really a, about them escaping yeah. Dunkirk. So the evacuation was successful, but the whole situation itself, uh, you know, it didn't turn out that the German soldiers lost or anything. It's just like, all right, well, the German soldiers lost that part of the, um, the beach, that's all. They lost territory yeah. Yeah. Um, for enemies. So, um, yeah, it's cool. I love the spectacle. love the film. Um, love the sharpness of the image. Yeah. You know, Hoyt van Hoytema done a great job. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope to see more of his his work um, in Nolan films. I mean, he is an Oppenheimer as well, so I can only imagine he's going to continue to work with um, Nolan. Mm. And Hans Zimmer, like, I think my biggest criticism is actually the Hans Zimmer score. As much as I love Hans Zimmer, his music in this, it's probably, it overstays its welcome in scenes where it would have benefited just by its sound design, you know, by the echoes and the, the gunshots, the, the, the waves and all that kind of stuff. Like, a lot of that is really great in the film, and I think there are just times where Hans Zimmer goes a bit too far. Mm. And I also found that with um, Dune, you know, because Hans Zimmer worked with uh, Denis Villeneuve on Dune, and I felt that the music overstayed its welcome way too much. I was like, ah, not liking this. It's a, uh, it's, it's a bit overbearing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, seven, seven point five. So we're very, very similar in that. Yeah, yeah. We're, and that's uh, that's low for a Nolan film. Yeah, that's that's awesome for another film. So that's good. Dude, if Nolan's films, like, if the lowest rank we give for a Lord Nolan film is 7.5, then, I mean, it's, it's telling something. It's telling something about Nolan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so that's that's about it for our Nolan um, Dunkirk. Um, to, to, to give people an idea about what's coming up soon... Um, after Christopher Nolan, we're going to do Tenet in a very timely fashion. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, yeah. we can do Tenet. I'm actually really looking forward to a um, watch of it. It's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be one, another one of those movies where it's, you know, it's going to age well and we're going to have a, you know, a, a better perspective and a better understanding of the film yeah. and enjoy it a bit more. Um, but that will be hopefully in a couple of weeks. We've got Tarantino we're moving on to in the Legacy Series after... Um, Christopher Nolan and I'm going to do a review and a recap on Nope um, and also a review and recap on a movie called The Invitation which comes out tomorrow hey, um, that? you know The Invitation? No. I don't I know the faces I'm not familiar with the names <laughs> you can look it up but The Invitation is it's a vampire film oh cool um, 
And it's actually, a cl- it's almost like a classic vampire film where it's sort of, it, it has this kind of 17th century vibe to it, even though it's not in the 17th century. That's yep. um, probably more of an indication of how old the vampires are. Yep. But it does have that kind of interview with the vampire, Dracula kind of feel to it. So a very traditional vampire film that I've been wanting to see for a very long time because I love vampire films, yep. but I love the the old sort of Victorian era vampire yep. The main, uh, the main uh, uh, star is Natalie uh, Emmanuel, who's also yes, Game of Thrones yeah. as Masande. Yeah, yeah, cool. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, so yeah, that's why I see my face. I just didn't know her name. Know. River's not a Game of Thrones watcher, peoples. Uh, I might I need to come not. on and do a legit no. cool um, cast of my own just on uh, the new Game of Thrones. <laughs> Game of Thrones. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Are you watching it? The yeah, 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 House, yeah, of, House Dragon. of Dragon. Yeah, I've... Um, Mm. I'm gonna have a proper watch of it. I heard the first episode was amazing. Yeah, I um, so I I just had a little looky loo at it last night, but I was quite tired. I had a big night and a late night, and I've been quite quite big days lately. So I was uh, I I just started the beginning of it, and I was like, "Yep, I'm invested. This is gonna be good fun." Really? So uh, yeah, so looking forward to that. Hopefully, it uh, it uh, I think they've learned some lessons after D and D, which River has no idea what I mean by that. But uh, after D and D. Uh, and uh, such, a nerd. such a nerd for those that uh, do love some good Game of Thrones. Uh, I'm a I'm a deep diver into all things George R. R. Martin. Read all the books, all the books, oh, and okay. uh, listen and theorize a lot. So yeah, it should be good. Love it should it. be interesting. Hmm. Okay, nice. Um, yeah. So the invitation, nope. Tarantino films coming up, and we're also got some more Marvel stuff coming up as well with She Hulk. Hey, before we finish, oh. like, what what do you think of She Hulk? Just, just oh, really quick. Yeah. No, no, no review. Yeah, I love it. First I, I was, I was very happy with the first episode. I had a great time. Hmm. I, um, nice. I, I have no idea what you think about it because I've um, been a, a, a little logic called WhatsApp. I've been a little AWOL from lately. Uh, just, um, uh-huh. yeah. I, I apologize, Jim, Jace. Apologize. I'll be back soon. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> with uh, She Hulk, yeah, I had a good time. Yeah. Your thoughts? Yeah. Quick, nice. quick, quick thoughts. Quick thoughts. Um, yeah, I I enjoyed it. I had some problems with the pacing, yeah. but um, yeah, enjoyable. Uh, surprisingly enjoyable. I I I think we spoke about this in uh, our uh, phase chats. five and yeah, six. Yeah. <laughs> the Marvel chat. Um, yeah, it's enjoyable. I like it. I'm looking forward to more of it. At the end of it, I was like, "Where did it all?" No, I did. There's spoilers. Spoilers for She-Hulk episode one. Uh, I did enjoy just for once an info dump on everything Hulk. Oh, that was yeah, yeah, hilarious. Yeah. And the way that um, the way that Mark Ruffalo delivers delivers his lines is just funny. Yeah. He's just a it's good. He's just a sweet, charming, funny guy. And, uh, he's a sweet, charming guy, and he's just a he's he's an enjoyable guy. Like I, I love seeing some Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Um, and and we finally got an answer to <laughs> Steve Rogers. <laughs> oh, to Steve Rogers. Um, wait, wait, to what? <laughs> Did you, you you watch the stinger right? You know there's an end post credit scene. Oh, no. What? Oh my god, you need to watch the post credit scene. Do watch now. it after this. Yeah. <laughs> um, You'll know what I mean. Awesome. Man. All right, well Steve we should wrap up now so I can go and watch the Let's Marvel wrap up now. that I'm missing. <laughs> Find legit cool podcasts on Instagram at legit cool podcasts. On Facebook it is legit cool movie talk. Um, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google podcast and Podbean. where can they find you Mister? i'm just on instagram uh at nath underscore underscore sammy you'll find lots of stuff about the podcast running eating 
lots of coffee talk, lots of coffee chats, coffee and a bit talk. of photography. Uh, what about you, River? I love it. My personal handle is River. So sorry, at River underscore V I L I. That is on Instagram. And um, be sure to tune in for the next episode. So hit that notification button so then you know when the next one drops. Um, be safe, everybody, and we will talk to you soon. Bye bye. Ciao.